listening to the Baby Your Baby podcast with me, Jade Elliott, where we talk all things pregnancy, children, and parenting. Don't forget to subscribe and share with your friends. Baby Your Baby is a KUTV2 news podcast and is sponsored by Intermountain Healthcare, Broadway Media, and the Utah Department of Health. You're listening to the Baby Your Baby podcast with myself, Jade Elliott, joined today by two incredible women. Uh, Jenny Lowe, a cancer survivor, and Brianna Bigelow, a surrogate mother. And we are talking about an incredible story of surrogacy and motherhood, the journey of you two, and then the miracles that have transpired after. Thank you both so much for being with us. Yeah, thank you. This is exciting. Yeah, this is going to be really fun to talk about. I'm, I'm so excited to hear your guys' story and for our listeners to hear um, what all has transpired between the two of you. So just a quick background for our listeners. Uh, Jenny, you're a cancer survivor uh, who then sought surrogacy um, or a surrogate mother to carry your baby following IVF. And then Brianna, you are the mother of twins that you conceived through IVF and then chose to be a surrogate mother for another couple who had experienced infertility. So let's yeah. let's just get it all out there. I mean, how did all of this start? Did you two know each other before any of this? We, we did a little bit. Um, I went to high school with Jenny's husband, James, and then I um, was, I did a kickball league. I mean, it's, it's probably been like 10 years, about 10 years ago. And I put a little thing on Facebook asking for people to join my team. And James reached out and said, hey, me and my girlfriend want to join. And that's how I met Jenny. And then look and then look at what happened. I mean, this is an incredible story, you guys. So um, let's start, Jenny, with you. And talk to me a little bit about your background and what led you to, to you know, through your IVF cycles and to deciding on surrogacy sure um so james and i got married in october of 2016 and in 2017 we late 2017 we decided we were ready to try to start our family and we tried for about six months with no success and so at that point i was 34 and in the world of fertility that is considered, you know, on the older side of things, which I try not to take offense to, but it's kind of crazy. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, and so we sought out fertility specialists to try to see if there was any issues that, you know, we weren't able to just see. And they they found a few things like my egg count was low and there were, there were some other issues that were possibly contributing to our inability to become pregnant naturally. So they suggested that we try a few different things. We tried four IUIs and then we ended up going through a round of um, IVF. And during the cycle of IVF, um, my our doctor just, you know, you go in very frequently to get checked on and to get updates and, and make sure everything's looking good and how many eggs are are going to be ready for the egg retrieval day. And they just noticed some kind of fuzzy images on my um, ultrasounds that 
hadn't been caught in any other aspect. I mean, just regular exams never caught them. It was it was through these ultrasounds that they saw them. And so my doctor allowed us to finish the cycle of IVF, but recommended a colleague of his that was an oncologist, a, a gynecological oncologist. And um, the day that we found out about our embryo, the one embryo that we were able to get out of IVF, we also found out that I had stage three ovarian cancer. Oh my gosh. The emotions that must have come with all of that. Here you are with something so exciting that you've been, you know, working and praying for, and then to get that kind of information, that's a hard hit to take. Yeah, it's like being told you are getting a raise and then later that day getting fired. I don't, I don't yeah. know like how to explain, you know, it's within a few hours being so excited and elated and relieved because, you know, all of the, the heartache and disappointment we had felt up to that point finally paid off. And, and it still wasn't the result we wanted as far as only getting one embryo. Usually you get a few more. So that was a little bit disappointing, but we were just so happy that, you know, the whole IVF cycle wasn't, you know, fruitless. And so we were so, so excited. And then, you know, a few hours later, I woke up from anesthesia and my doctor was at my bedside telling me that she had found cancer and she had found a lot of it and she was certain that we were going to beat it. Um, but at that point, my only option uh, moving forward was to have a full hysterectomy and, you know, lose my ability to carry a child. And, you know, that was something that was really hard to deal with. But in the back of my mind, I'm thinking, you know, we've got this one sweet little embryo that we call Embry Low because our last name is Low. <laughs> and um, the only option in my, in our minds, the only logical thing or step going forward was to have a surrogate. So that's when we kind of started going down the path of, you know, trying to figure out how, how we could make that work. Sure. And so while going through all of those options, you're also now starting treatment, right? Yeah. So I was in the middle of, you know, six rounds of chemotherapy. Um, and I, I, I can't remember exactly how it all came about, but I had, had been having a conversation with my brother and his wife um, chimed in and, and said, you know, I, I would love to do this for you and James. I would love to be your surrogate. She had had four successful pregnancies before that. And, um, you know, it just having a family member seemed very, it, it seemed like a very special experience. And so as my treatment wrapped up and I was, you know, deemed in remission and, and cancer free, we started to go down the road with my brother and his wife, um, for her to be our surrogate for Embry Low. And, you know, we went through all the medical clearances, the legality, the, um, the therapy that they require, you know, that the law in Utah requires. Mm -hmm. And in November of 2018 or 2019, I'm sorry, in November of 2019, we had, did our um, embryo transfer and it worked and we were pregnant with our biological child. And about when she was about, it was like six weeks along, eight weeks along, um, right around Christmas time, she 
found out that she had lost the baby. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it was very difficult. There, there was no rhyme or reason. Sometimes the, the embryos just, they're just not as good a quality or there's just so many factors that go into the success or mm-hmm. failure of, of, you know, I, of IUIs or transfers, things like that. And so we were pretty devastated. We thought, you know, 2019, we thought the end of 2019 was going to be the best end on a high note. And it, it didn't end on a high note. So we thought, Oh, 2020 is going to be our year. 2020 has to be better than this. There, nothing yeah. could make 2020 worse than 2019. Right. And then 2020 hit. <laughs> yeah. And so <laughs> never say never. <laughs> so many lessons learned. Uh, but yeah, but you did. And then you started thinking, okay, so what's next? Because you did, you weren't ready to give up. There were some hard, serious conversations, but you weren't ready to give up. Right. I mean, the whole reason we had even started down this road was to start the fam- our family. And just because I had been diagnosed with cancer and just because I couldn't carry my child wasn't enough to make me you know, say, nope, I'm not going to be a mom. And now there's this aspect at that point that I biologically cannot have a child. I can't, I don't have any eggs left. I, you know, everything was gone. And, and that, you know, that has a different sting to it than just the, the surrogacy I, as an idea in general, but just knowing that the child would not be biologically mine. I, I think that's a struggle that, many couples face, whether they go through surrogacy or adoption, um, there, you know, that's a hard, that's a hard reality to face. Mm-hmm. And, and I understand that I actually, I was an egg donor for, oh. um, a couple different families in my younger twenties. And so, you know, I, I get that. And, and the same side of, you know, all of the different options and, and you don't know what you don't know. And you're going through all of this and at times you think you're going through it by yourself. And yeah. And for me, um, being younger when I did this, that was the one thing that was kind of eye-opening to me. It was, you know, I'm going in to help these families, which was the most amazing thing. And I'm sitting in these clinics with all of these other women who are struggling to conceive as well or going, you know, going through these different journeys. And it's incredible from your journey then to continue to go and then get to that egg donor portion, you know, to where you are now and having this incredible story of surrogacy. What was that next step for you? What, what got you to the next point of, okay, we need to find an egg donor and we need to find a surrogate. So just to circle back to what you just said, I, infertility and this whole journey it's very isolating and it's shocking in this day and age how isolating it still is and how infrequently people talk about Mm -hmm. i think people are talking about it more than they ever have because there's more information there's more means to have those conversations but that was really difficult Mm -hmm. for me to understand how it was so like hush hush or or somehow you feel like you're broken you feel like something's wrong with me and you feel ashamed i felt ashamed of my inability to like to do what i'm supposed to do as a woman and that is you know create a life and be able to contribute to that process and so um, having these conversations is really important but also just for anyone going through this understanding that you are not alone and there are thousands of people struggling with this every day like 
it, it's just when you really find the help and the understanding of that, it's, it takes that burden off of you. But, um, so we did kind of talk about next steps, whether we wanted to adopt, try adoption or go, go through egg donor, um, egg donation. And truthfully, I was really uninformed about the adoption process. I know people that have adopted, um, and I, I felt like I could have a good support system and people that were knowledgeable, but, I, I think I had heard like little bits and pieces that probably weren't even, maybe not even accurate, um, that made me say, oh, adoption seems like a difficult process as well. And the biggest factor for me was ultimately, I didn't want James to lose his ability to have his own biological child just because I couldn't. And he struggled with that ideology a bit because he felt guilty in whatever ways he felt, um, you know, he didn't want to someday look down at his child and see himself reflected back and feel happy and proud, but then look over and see me almost seeing that moment and feel guilty that I couldn't have a moment like that similarly. So it, it was a complicated decision for mm -hmm. us to make. It wasn't just, okay, we're, this is what we're going to do. And, you know, there are a lot of steps legally, financially, emotionally to go through to find an egg donor. And luckily the process ended up being really easy for us. I, and as far as finding somebody, we went through um, Utah Fertility Center and they have a great database of women who are willing to donate. And, you know, we, we got to kind of, you can choose parameters in which I, my, my thing was, I just kind of wanted our, my child to have some physical characteristics that were like me. So I, I was able to find a, a donor that resembled me a little bit. You know, it's mm -hmm. kind of weird to look at a complete stranger pictures and, and try to pick out things that you're like, oh, yeah, that person kind of looks like me and we don't even know each other. <laughs> um, so, yeah, we, we ended up going through the process of egg donation. We were able to get six healthy embryos out of the cycle. Um, and then... From there, James made a Facebook post in, that was in January of 2020. And then in like in February, he made a Facebook post kind of um, asking the world for ideas or help finding another surrogate. Because at that point, my sister-in-law had decided she had wanted, she had wanted to help us with our embryo, but wasn't able or, you know, didn't want to move forward with sure. another attempt, which completely understandable and and I had you know that was perfectly fine so we you know James reached out on Facebook and just said this is a really humbling thing to be asking and a humbling experience but yeah. we're we want to start a family and we hope that this you know our circle of people know somebody or can give us information on on anything surrogacy related because we don't really know where to go from here and not kidding within like five minutes enter Brianna. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, let's go there now. You see this post on Facebook and, yeah. and all of a sudden you think, well, I can do that. I mean, what was your thought process? You, you saw this, this call to action basically from, from friends, acquaintances and friends. And yeah. what went through your head when you saw that? Um, you know, it, it was interesting because uh, going back, I 
you know, we've done kickball and then I saw James and Jenny get married and then Jenny shared her cancer journey, um, even also her infertility journey. I remember reaching out and being like, I just went through this and you're almost to the hard part. Like the hard part's almost over. You're almost there. And then she received her cancer diagnosis. And I just remembered um, following that whole journey and feeling in total awe over the way that she handled it and just her vulnerability with it. So I kind of always felt maybe like a weird connection to James and Jenny, but in a very like, um, I was just watching from far away kind of a way. And then when they put this post out there, I was like, I, I'm not a good candidate because I had to go through IVF myself to receive our twins. I've had multiple miscarriages. I mean, I'm, I'm probably not a good candidate, but I want them to know that like, I'd be willing to do this for them if I could. So I just threw my name like up on Facebook and said, I'd love to help you guys. And I'm familiar with the IVF process and, um, you know, like I understand the shots and everything that the emotions behind it and the support system you would need to go through that process. So yeah, I mean, consider me. And then, um, it, from there it moved so quickly in my opinion, we, we had a couple conversations that, you know, right from the beginning can maybe feel awkward to some people. I mean, these are like really tough conversations like who's going to be in the room when I give birth and what if there's five babies that I get pregnant with like are we going to consider terminating any of them just like really really tough conversations right um that we had to have like right from the beginning and and even though they were tough conversations it was really nice to feel like we were all mostly on the same page with almost every you know topic that got brought up um then we did the medical clearance, and that was the piece I didn't think I would I would be a good candidate for, and it was kind of fun because I got to go back to the same fertility clinic I went to to have my twins, mm-hmm. um, and and they ran all the same tests, and they said we actually think you'd be a great candidate for this because we know IVF works for you, and uh, and then yeah, from there it just went so fast, and from February to June we did all the legal hoops you have to do and then transferred an embryo. And, and we actually didn't exciting. even, we didn't even get together in person. No, we didn't have any of these conversations until the end of May, like middle end of May, right when she was starting her um, shots because of COVID. Uh, we kind of were required to, we just, everyone was quarantining. And so the first conversation that we had about this was on a Zoom call. And it was the first time that James and I had met her husband. Um, and so, you know, you can imagine these awkward questions and we had already been through the surrogacy, kind of what the the template of that looked like and what needed to be kind of talked about right up front. And it was really fresh for us. So we kind of just got right to it. We said, these are the things we know are gonna come up over the next couple of weeks. And if you're comfortable with it, great and we'll move forward if not great and we'll move forward but yeah it was just interesting to have that kind of all happening through zoom right yeah which is so wild to think you know that that this all happened through the course of that as well um so so you go through the embryo transplant and kind of share what it's like you know for our listeners or someone who may be thinking that this could be an option for them of 
of what that is like, that process of, you know, after the transplant and, um, you know, you start going through the pregnancy and, you know, you're carrying a baby for another family and another family has a baby growing, you know, in you and that um, what some might look like as a disconnect, but, you know, what really becomes a really special bonding time. Yeah, so the, I feel like the process actually starts before the transfer because leading up to the transfer, you have to get your body ready with the correct doses of hormones. Um, and so leading up to transfer, you have to do some shots, um, sometimes two or three, three times a day. So that was a little tricky with COVID because I, I know for me, I wanted James and Jenny to be as involved with as much as they could be involved with, including like administering the shots if they wanted to. But with COVID, it added an extra like limitation there. So my husband had to do some of the shots. Some of the times my husband would be on a call. So I had to like maneuver and do it myself, which is not very easy to do. Um, and then what is it like being pregnant with another family's baby? Um, it was, it was very, very different from my own pregnancies um, in terms of emotionally. I definitely feel like I, there was like, I had to take a step back from it a little bit. And because otherwise I think maybe the emotions can overwhelm you. So I had to kind of take a step back, but from, from day one, it, it never, ever, ever felt like, you know, my baby or that this was, something I was going to bring home with me. It always felt like James and Jenny's baby. And that that piece of it actually was very exciting because I feel like we got to involve them with all of these appointments and firsts and moments that normally you would only share with maybe your, your partner or your spouse. And we got to experience the excitement of it tenfold by bringing in James and Jenny and having them experience it as well. It was just really cool. It was really fun to get to like watch all these intimate moments between the two of them and get to be part of that. And Jenny, for you guys, I mean, what was that like? Because, you know, there's doctor's appointments, and there's all the things. And, and like Brenna was saying, you know, she wanted you guys to be involved as much as you could. And then, you know, we're also doing this during a pandemic. And I'm my assumption would be that you wanted to be involved as much as you could. So what did that look like for you guys? Yeah, I mean, I think that was a really important piece of the journey for us was finding somebody that <clears throat> would be open to being so vulnerable and allowing us to really experience this pregnancy as much as we could um, feel that it was ours, like that I was one going through it. And so, you know, I... I felt that from day one from Brianna and Ben, um, they opened their home to us. Like we, we kind of, we became our inner circle during the pandemic, which, you know, I know, I know a lot of people weren't able to have that experience for themselves as they went through this, whether there's a pandemic or even just in surrogacy in general, they, it's not always that open and that vulnerable with each other, but I, I never once felt an ounce of, you know, jealousy or resentment or looking at Brianna and thinking, you know, why, why can't that be me? In fact, you know, there, the times that were kind of difficult, I was like, 
I am kind of glad that I can <laughs> be at home having a glass of wine right now, and she's the one dealing with the physical <laughs> difficulty of this. Um, and so, I don't know, there was silver lining in, in both ways that you view it, but it it just felt so inclusive, and, and we we were just very open and honest with each other from the very beginning. And I think that is so important to have that amount of trust and that amount of um, honesty, because if, if there was something that she needed, I had no doubt in my mind that she would text me and say, Hey, we, we need this and this is going on. And, and James and I would get right on it for her. Or if I was feeling something, you know, sad that, Oh, I, I'm sad. I haven't seen you in a minute and I just want to touch your belly. Like she, she would come over and let me do that. And, you know, again, I, I feel so fortunate to have had our experience be that, that way, because I am completely aware that it is not that way for every situation. And that can be a difficult thing to, to lose when deciding that you want to go down the path of surrogacy. And it's not always practical or easy to say, Hey, I'm going to find somebody in my circle that I know and trust to be, you know, to share this very intimate experience with us. So, you know, I, I don't say it lightly in, in the way that is ignorant to the fact that other people don't always get to experience it this way. But I think if you can, and it works out that way, it was one of the most beautiful experiences that I could have ever asked for. Yeah. And then, uh, you, so you go through the pregnancy, the journey for both of you guys was great. Uh, you know, you had these wonderful experiences and moments and doctor's appointments and all the things. The pregnancy went well for you, Brianna? Yeah, it did. Um, you know, my previous pregnancy was with twins, so by comparison, this pregnancy was like a piece of cake. <laughs> Um, but I did complain a lot towards the end. I think Jenny can testify to that. Um, there was a lot of complaints on my end that last like month. <laughs> uh huh. And then we get to delivery. And so yeah. was, was it all scheduled? What, how did that all work for you guys? Oh man, is there, there's, there's like, there were so many walls, I feel like, when it came to delivery because of COVID. Mm-hmm. So before, when we were first just talking about should I be a surrogate, you know, my vision was like it would be me, my husband, James and Jenny in the room. If James and Jenny wanted to invite, like, their moms, that would be fine with me. Like, I was pretty open to the idea. And then COVID happened, and at this point we were like, you know, the, the hospital is telling us we can have one person in the room with me. And so I was like, okay, I guess it's Jenny. Like, I'm not going to have my husband there. Mm-hmm. James may not be there, um, and we had to get some special exceptions from the hospital. My husband, myself, my, our whole family had to quarantine, you know, several weeks leading up to the delivery. So because there were all of these kind of variables, it made sense for us to schedule an induction. Sure. Because it allowed the hospital to, like, have a heads up that hey, we're coming in and we're this doing this. is the this. day they're coming in. This is the exception we need to honor and... Um, and even be, with all that being said, you know, James still had to miss a good chunk of the delivery and I'm, I'm feeling, or sorry, of the labor. And I'm feeling very blessed that, you know, nothing went south and we would have to get like a C-section or something like that. Cause that would have really limited. I think it would have only allowed Jenny in the room. We were lucky the last like 15 minutes or so before Hope was born, all four of us were allowed to be in the room. 
when that happened. So, and that's incredible. That's and Jenny, talk to us about that experience and seeing your baby, baby Hope, for the first time. It was incredible and magical and overwhelming and dreamlike. <laughs> I don't know how to explain it. I, I had to oftentimes envision that I was going through this experience much like a father, the father figure, the, the dad would be going through it because he obviously can't be pregnant and he kind of has to watch and help through the, the delivery and be the support. And uh, so my experience wasn't much unlike what every man goes through when they're watching their wife or partner, you know, like uh, have a baby. So I was very like happy that I got to be as involved. Um, I, I was able to be the one that essentially caught hope uh, as soon as she was born. You know, I helped Brianna through laboring, and I, I mean, I hope I helped her. <laughs> I stood by and wiped her. I wiped her head with a washcloth while she was going through painful contractions, and again was just like, I don't know if I could have done this. I'm, I'm a wuss. You think I'm not a wuss because I beat cancer, but that, that looked, it looked pretty rough. Um, but you know, they put me in the whole getup of gloves and a. a Robe, a robe, uh, whatever, not a robe, uh, a gown. Like, a gown, yeah. <laughs> I kind of even know. And, you know, I, I was the first person other than the doctor as he passed hope to me, but I was the first person that was able to hold her. And it just was a very surreal, surreal experience to, you know, even though I wasn't the one birthing her, I felt like I had a very magical, wonderful experience as the first person that got to see her. That's incredible. Tell our listeners what, maybe what they should know or what advice you guys have for them because you have such a special story. And like you said, not everyone's might be like this. It could be very different. And that's okay too because every journey of pregnancy is completely different. But what would you want our listeners to know if they were considering going through surrogacy process, either you know being a surrogate or trying to find one? one of the honest fears I had was that I wouldn't be able to connect if with, with my child, if I wasn't the one that gave birth to her. And I think that the moment I met her, that fear went right out the window and we just bonded and it was something indescribable. So my advice to anybody who is seeking out the surrogacy route is if that is a fear of yours, it's unfounded. It's not unfounded, but it's gone the minute you meet your baby and it is, it's your child and it's such a special bond that you are going to have with your baby. And I think one of the other biggest pieces of advice is find somebody that you feel comfortable and confident with. Um, make sure it's a good fit for all of you and just be able to have those hard honest conversations from the beginning to ensure that you are getting out of this experience what you want. And if, if it's not capable or it's not happening the way that you had kind of thought it would, like give yourself the ability to be very picky and be very self-serving in those moments mm -hmm. because you, you want to have the experience that you deserve to have. And um, it, it can be a very magical experience. Yeah. And Brianna, what would you say for someone um, considering being a surrogate? Yeah. Um, my first piece of advice is just to make sure that you have 
a good support system, um, both during the pregnancies and postpartum. I think I was maybe a little surprised at how much the surrogacy process um, required of, of even my husband and my kids and having their support with the house and chores and dinners and things like that. So just make sure that you have support both for people to come and physically help you with whatever you might need as well as mentally and emotionally because there are ups and downs. And then, yeah, to echo what, what Jenny said, I think even for a surrogate, we might feel sometimes that like it's a very one-way relationship that, you know, we're um, doing this for someone else. And, and you are, but you also have to make sure that you're getting your needs met in return. So I knew what I wanted my surrogacy relationship to look like, and I vocalized that to James and Jenny. I also knew what I wanted my relationship with the baby to look like um, and and have vocalized that. And, you know, I, I just am so lucky that this relationship was was quick and easy. But I, w- I would echo the same thing that you want to make sure that as a surrogate, you're, you've got to be willing to be a little picky too. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you guys so much for sharing your incredible story and your journey with us through beating cancer and going through that process to finding an incredible surrogate to now having beautiful baby hope. We so appreciate you guys' time and your story. Yeah, Yeah. thank you. Thank you for helping us share it. Absolutely. And that concludes this episode of the Baby Your Baby podcast. Thanks for joining me, Jade Elliott, and our guest for this week's Baby Your Baby podcast. If you have a topic that you'd like our Baby Your Baby experts to discuss, leave us a comment and don't forget to subscribe. Baby Your Baby is a KUTV2 news podcast and is sponsored by Intermountain Healthcare, Broadway Media, and the Utah Department of Health.